I'm Liam Garrity, and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Scale is our dedicated content resource on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. This week, our guest is Maggie Hoss, Director of Sales at Webflow. Maggie previously went from being a founding account executive to senior enterprise leader at Slack. And before that, Maggie was at Eventbrite as a founding sales hire. We sat down to chat with Maggie recently about scaling sales teams in hyper-growth companies. Maggie shares her insight about the biggest considerations and the pitfalls involved, as well as how to adapt a sales org to meet the different needs of the company, and has some great advice on choosing your next role or company, something Maggie says is very near and dear to her. It's a really interesting chat that we think you'll enjoy. If you do, give us a shout out on social. We love to hear from you. Okay, over to the studio. So Maggie, we're delighted to welcome you to the show today. Uh, to kick things off, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here today. So I grew up in a really, really small town in Northern California, actually about 800 people, and went down to to school, to university in Santa Barbara, which is in Southern California, and kind of just stumbled my way into tech. I actually thought I would end up in the nonprofit world, but I was taking some courses at university, and this wonderful speaker who happened to be the CEO of a company called Eventbrite came down and spoke to us. And I just thought, he was great. And I I never really knew what tech was all about, even though being kind of near San Francisco, I didn't know a lot about it. But what I decided to do was to reach out to that gentleman, Kevin Hartz, and basically ask him for a job. And, you know, after a couple rounds of interviews, (laughs) I ended up finding my way to Eventbrite. I was their second SDR they had ever had. I spent about five years at Eventbrite, uh, moving my way up in the sales organization. And by the time I left, I was a senior account executive. So that was in about uh, 2015 when I found Slack. And Slack was really, really new, was just starting to think about account management, not even necessarily sales at the time. They had a couple account managers out of Canada, uh, but really no one in the Bay Area. And so a similar theme to Eventbrite, I actually prospected my way into Slack, uh, (laughs) was hired on at Slack as the very first sales rep based out of headquarters. And at that point, we were about 12 million in ARR. And so I was at Slack from when we were 12 million to actually over a billion. So pretty big growth there. Throughout my time there, it was about 60, a little over six years. I went from being the top performing account executive globally to actually moving into leadership about three years in to help build out our mid-market team out of the West Coast. Fast forward, by the time that I actually left Slack, I was senior manager of enterprise. About four months ago, I came over to Webflow. I'm now director of sales, leading sales globally for Webflow, which is a really, really fast growing startup, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about more through the rest <laughs> of this podcast. And then on the side, personally, I do I do some stuff in the venture capital community. I do some scouting for a wonderful VC firm, Cowboy Ventures. I also do some formal advising for a couple smaller startups. On a personal front, I, I do live in San Francisco. I've got a 16-month-old daughter who seems like she's going on you know, 16 years <laughs> from her personality. Um, and I've got two really large uh, mutt dogs. Um, and my husband as well. <laughs> that is a, a, a full-on house for uh, for COVID. It sure is. 
<laughs> Which brings us to Webflow, where you recently started as director of sales. How is that going? What are you most excited about? Man, um, there, there's so much. I'm so excited about what we're building at Webflow. I, I just feel so lucky every day. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit about why and why I think Webflow and product-led growth companies are really, really unique animal. They come with a unique set of challenges if they're done right, but they're also primed to be really successful. So here's an example. Webflow has over 130,000 customers today, but we really only started spinning up the sales team about a year ago. And that's because Webflow, even though it's been around since 2012, it's all been really driven by this self-serve kind of organic motion that is, of course, layered on with great customer support and customer service, marketing, amazing product. But now what we're really doing is building on enterprise to help amplify that motion. And we're seeing a ton of success with it, actually. Uh, just within the last year, some of the logos that I'm allowed to talk about um, are the <laughs> likes of Zendesk, Rakuten, Dell, Mural, Lattice, Hopin, Deal. Like these are some amazing, amazing companies that are not only within the Fortune 100, but also some of the fastest growing tech companies that are out there. We're seeing really good growth. We will actually likely triple my org by the end of the year. We're at 10 now and we should end probably about 29 or 30. And that's just for sales and sales development. And just recently, we actually raised 140 million in uh, our Series B, and so we're really just getting started. It's so much fun to build and scale companies these days. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Um, and well, I suppose you moved to Slack as the first rep based out of San Francisco. You ended up helping to build a sales org there. What do you think are the biggest considerations when scaling a sales team in a hyper growth startup? Like, are there any pitfalls businesses should be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I'm actually going to answer that in two parts, if it's okay. Uh, the first being to really talk about the type of people that you hire and what these people will do. And then the second part is the tenure of people that you hire. And I think one of the biggest things that's important to get right is who you hire for your immediate teams, but also who is hired for the teams that you're directly working with. It's really important to hire team members who are very collaborative. For AEs in particular, in the early days, I'd actually say only about half of their job is selling. The other half is a variety of projects from hiring, recruiting, building, working cross-functionally. It's really important to have strong relationships with our cross-functional partners and to be a very clear communicator. You have to hire people early days who are really comfortable with ambiguity, and you have to hire people that have a great attitude because building a startup is definitely not <laughs> for the faint of heart. I always like to look for people who are willing to jump in and help others out, which is really, really important as you grow. In terms of the tenure of people, I actually think it's really important to have a mixture of leaders who have done it and seen it before and really seen that scale and hyper growth motion. And then a mixture of people who are promoted from within and people who've been at the company and they know the product and they know the customers like the back of their hand. Here's actually a bit of a, I don't know if I'd call it a funny story, but um, I'll never forget back in 2015 or 2016, we learned at Slack that we were going to be hiring on a VP of sales. And just candidly, all of us were like, we don't need a VP of sales. We're doing so well. What is a VP of sales actually going to do for us? But in reality, the whole reason that we needed a VP of sales is because those of us that were there hadn't seen the scale in that a way that a tenured senior leader had seen. So what we actually did here is we ended up hiring Bob Fratty. He came in probably when Slack was around 50 million ARR, and he really helped build out the leadership team and help us scale to over a billion. 
I really genuinely don't think that we would have had the success that Slack has had if it wasn't for bringing in tenured leadership from the outside, because it's really important that they coach those of us who have been there for a while um, on on what excellence and what sure. fail looks like. And then lastly, in terms of pitfalls. So I think it's really important to build the foundation before you really layer on the people. Something that makes me really nervous is when companies just start, you know, hiring and loading and loading and loading on the people without having a foundation there because it's not going to actually set those people up for success. So I think one big thing that is really important is, and, and sounds obvious, but is make sure the tools and the systems are in place so that sales teams can be really successful. So for example, over here at Webflow, we've actually already invested in I mean, I'm biased here, but in what I think is the absolute (laughs) best tool stack possible, even though some of it like LinkedIn sales navigator is really expensive, it it just makes sense. And it's not necessarily because we need it right now, but we're going to need it as we grow and as we scale. And it's so much easier to get it right in the beginning than to try to come in and change it at the end. And then finally, kind of the, the last part of this question in terms of pitfalls and in terms of the type of people that can detract from an org, I really try to stay away from people who are lone wolf mentality, at least in the early days, because it's so important to be really collaborative early days. People who are negative, people that put themselves before the company or even the customer. Other pitfalls, I think, again, early days are people who are very money motivated because it's really likely in the early days that the compensation structure is just not going to be figured out. Um, It was actually just a few weeks ago that we moved our account executives at Webflow over from a team number to an individual number. And of course, we introduced an accelerators, which is a huge win. And it actually took about two years from when I was at Slack before we actually formally moved to comp plan. So if people are coming in just trying to make the most money possible, a startup is probably not the right spot for them because all of that stuff is being figured out still. Yeah, for sure. And you talked a lot about hiring there. Do you have any specific questions that you ask in order to understand if the person interviewing is the right one for the job? Many. Um, I actually, now these days, I'm in five to six interviews a day. So, wow. so we, <laughs> I, I ask a lot of interview questions, but I'll touch on some of the core themes that I like to focus on. So first off, I really like to understand what are their most proud wins? What are their toughest losses? I like to understand, especially for these early days, what is it that these account executives have done that's above and beyond their current role of just selling? I like to ask about their biggest mistakes they've made. I like to ask about their proudest moments. Something that is really, really important to me too is I like to look at their career trajectories. I've actually found the most impressive candidates are the ones that are promoted from within an organization and continue to grow from within versus the ones that are leaving and hopping every year or so in order to get a higher title or pay elsewhere. I also spend a lot of time digging into why people make the moves they did because I actually think it really takes a full year to get good at selling a product and building a pipeline. And it's uh, a bit of a red flag if someone's hopping after a year, because it means their pipeline probably wasn't where it needed to be. Yeah. Um, Finally, during my interview process, I would say one of the biggest telling signs for when I pass on a candidate is I like to probe into why a deal was lost. And actually what I'm looking for here is is not if they you know can win or lose deals. I'm actually looking to see, do they take ownership of losing the deal or are they blaming others? What did they learn from this lost deal? How are they using this to improve? And I think above all else, the number one thing that I'm looking for here is a growth mindset. I think that's great advice. 
And as your revenue grows, your sales org becomes more complex and you will obviously need to evolve. So I'm guessing the needs change according to the different stages of the company and that the first few sales hires are probably different than the 50th or 100th hire. So what's your experience when it comes to adapting the sales org to meet the different needs of the company? 100%. Great question there too. And it's a tough one, right? Because there's so many different stages within a company growth and company tenure, also depending on, you know, what is the product that you're selling? Is it product-led growth? Is it true enterprise? But I think the biggest theme out of all of it is early days. It's really important to look for people that are Jack and Jill's of all trades, for lack of a better term. I like to look for people who are comfortable with change, people that thrive. And, and something I like to say is embracing the chaos. And there's a lot of chaos early days, even from, you know, one to hundred of a sales org. I like to look for people who can make, it sounds silly, but make friends with just about anyone in the company. People who love working on different projects and initiatives. And it's fun to have all these side projects that they're doing. I'm also looking for people who are willing to put in the grind and hard work. I'm very, very much a believer in work-life balance. And it's something that I really reinforce for my org. But being at a startup is not for the faint of heart. And early days, it's less about building all the orgs within the sales team, but more about building a really strong and really sustainable foundation. And then kind of part two of that is you continue to go up market and get bigger. This is when things will naturally start to turn more into a true sales focused org. So once you have about 50 to 100 reps, at this point, it actually doesn't make sense for everyone to have different side projects because that's actually just going to be not good. <laughs> at this size and scale, it's really important to have process and structure. I think things like segments, ROE, territories, this is when it's really important to have this stuff implemented and locked down. It's also really important to have fully built out functions like ops and enablement teams. And I think th this is one of my favorite things. If, if all the listeners have not yet read, there's an article called Giving Away Your Legos. It's by Molly Graham. It is my single favorite article blog that is out there. It's really powerful. And basically what it talks about is in order to effectively scale and grow, you have to give away pieces of your job. And, and this is kind of the, the element of giving away your Legos. And it's going to feel really challenging. It's going to be hard to you know build something and then give it away or give it to a new team or a new department. It's hard to let go. But letting go is really good because it means the company is growing and it allows for each individual to actually take on new and a more broad scope. So for example, when I was at Slack early days, I actually helped to build out our entire EBC org. I actually wrote, wrote the job description for <laughs> our director of global EBCs. I helped to build out our EDU org, our nonprofit org, our SMB org, our compete programs, our outbound motion. And all of these things are actually all now full functions today at Slack. And being able to start all of those things and then give it away, it was a tough pill to swallow. But now I'm able to take a look Take, you know, kind of step away and take a look back. And what was, you know, once upon a time, my little baby is basically now a full-fledged adult. And that is a really, really powerful thing that I was able to contribute to Slack to now watch all these orgs grow and flourish. That's great. It's, it's, it's a fantastic thing to be able to watch that. So you recently left Slack after six years and moved to Webflow. Do you have any advice for our listeners on how to choose their next role or company? 
Yes, this is something really near and dear to me as I've lost many candidates too, as I go through the process. And, and I kind of, you know, always want to do a retrospect with that candidate, learn where we missed out, learn where they went wrong. And it's really interesting to hear and see why candidates make the choices they made. And I would say my biggest advice for this is choose the company, not the role. So often people are enamored with titles and promises of higher OTE. And I often see people picking a company because of promises of these things, because maybe they'll get a, you know, enterprise account executive title at a brand new small company versus a mid-market title at a more established company. When actually in reality, oftentimes those mid-market deals in an established company are going to be much bigger and more complex. We actually saw this happen all the time at Slack. We often saw people, you know, come interview, turn down for promise of higher title or OTE elsewhere, only to find them back in the interview process, even a year later in some cases. And so I'm a firm believer if you choose a great company and you put in excellent work, you will actually be rewarded with promotions and your career is going to continue to flourish. If you go to a company that doesn't end up being successful, that kind of just peters out, you're often going to have to start over somewhere else, probably in that exact same spot, maybe even a year or two later. And, and you've kind of now wasted that time. So overall theme there, choose the company, don't choose the role and the roles will follow. Great advice. And how's your sales team at Webflow structured? I mean, is, is it different from the way things used to work at Slack? Yeah. So actually what's, what's funny is the team at Webflow is nearly a carbon copy of how it was structured at Slack in 2015, maybe more so 2016, but very similar to when I joined. So right now at Webflow, we've got one level of account executive and majority of our opportunity is actually inbound. In fact, we've just started building our outbound motion. Every single AE is far surpassing their quota, which I actually think is really important for early days because as I talked about before, AEs are doing so much out of the scope of just selling. So it's important that they're able to attain their quota. Of course, it still needs to be you know, tough, but I think early days, it's really important for the AEs to be successful in their selling metrics so they can also help focus on other areas and other projects. Uh, Webflow, we've actually just hired our very first two CSMs within the last few weeks. We've got three solutions engineers. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I'm likely going to triple the org by the end of the year. And then what's really, really exciting is I'm actually launching a brand new sales development org based out of Denver. We're launching in two weeks, and that is going to grow our sales org by 50% overnight oh, um, wow. because we have five folks starting on one day. So <laughs> the other thing too, that's really interesting is we're seeing a lot of traction from international, despite not ever doing any marketing or really any targeted outreach, we're seeing some really incredible traction from Germany, from Australia, really just all over the world. So at some point, probably in the next year or two, we'll really start to think about going global. And then the, the other interesting thing that's different about Webflow versus Slack when I started is Webflow has a really big partnerships and agency model. So we have thousands upon thousands of these, these clients and these companies. And basically what they're doing is they're building off Webflow and they're helping to service the clients that are using Webflow. And what this is actually doing is it's helping to reinforce the stickiness and retention and success of our product. And it's actually also a really good revenue stream and a ton of fun. Our partners are amazing. I'm working with them daily. And they're just a bunch of really, really neat people all around the world that are helping to really bring up and build the Webflow mission. That's brilliant. Something our CEO, Karen Peacock, used to tell us was that she saw this one misconception about sales in a lot of the high growth businesses she encountered over the years. 
that all there is to sales is like maximizing revenue. And while we were scaling our sales team at Intercom, we spent a lot of time thinking about our sales culture, about the core values that like absolutely every hire had to live by. And it was about putting the customer first, not revenue, being personal in the way we communicate with prospects and doing work that's impactful. What are your non-negotiables when hiring salespeople? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to start with it. Webflow, we have core principles that we live by. And the way I like to think about this and coach the team is customer first and then company and then yourself. It's really important that account executives also become the voice of the customer internally because we are those front lines. We are sharing you know, the feedback that customers have and their product asks and their successes and their failures back internally. So with all of this in mind, when I think about hiring salespeople, I want to see how the future hires of the sales team will put others before they put themselves Will they think about the customer first and will they help them solve for their needs versus are they going to try to maximize and squeeze out as much early revenue as they can? I am a firm believer that revenue will follow good karma, perhaps whether it be in the form of references, referrals, renewals, expands. Actually, here's a kind of a funny story that happened to me just a few months ago is when I was an AE at Slack really early days, I sold to one of the world's largest athletic retailers. And they ended up being on Slack. They ended up growing the entire company, over 100,000 people on Slack. And they're really one of Slack's major success stories right now. Lo and behold, that exact same retailer and ironically, that same exact team, they came into Webflow inbound about two months ago. Um, (laughs) And it was just so fun getting on that call and being like, hey, remember me? Here I am again, different company. But with this, I believe the world is small and it's really, really important to always put others first because people will always remember how you made them feel and what the experience was that you gave them. 100%. And how do you make sure that culture also scales? Yeah. So one thing, and I always like to call this out is I actually don't love the word culture fit. People talk about culture fit a lot, but I think culture fit implies that culture is stagnant and that it's not involving because it's just, you know, fitting Mm. into something. I like to think about it as a culture ad. And as I look for new team members, I encourage all of my hiring team to really think about what will this person bring to our team from a culture or a skills perspective that we don't already have? You know, how are they going to grow? How are they going to help us shape and flourish? And what, what will we learn from them? What will they learn from us? We actually spend more time with our teammates than we do with our families. So it's really, really important to hire people who are going to be great humans to work with. You don't have to be best friends with them, of course, that's nearly impossible, but you do have to be able to build a foundation of trust in order to work through difficult times. And I think that part is also really important to culture and scaling. Um, Obviously, as operations scale, you need to be handling more and more deals. Let's face it, it's not exactly scalable if you just keep hiring new people. So at some point, most sales teams start looking into ways to automate work so that people aren't spending most of their time doing all that repetitive administrative work or other non-selling tasks. How are you tackling this issue at Webflow? Oh my gosh, I could not agree with this point more. And it's something that I'm constantly thinking about because there is nothing worse than 
you know, having to spend half hour doing an administrative task behind the scenes that, that could have been avoided. So I like to think about how do we make things easier for account executives, SDRs, our cross-functional partners, and especially as we're adding in all these new functions like solutions engineering and customer success. Again, going back to that foundation needing to be really, really solid. So let's, I'll spend a little bit of time on this one and sure. kind of break down how I'm thinking about this from tooling, but also from a people aspect. So first, as I think about tooling, I mentioned this uh, a couple of questions ago, but it's really important to purchase top-notch sales tools to help teams do their job better. I am such a believer in great sales tools and technology. It's actually one of the first things that I did coming to Webflow was take a look at our tool stack and say, what do we need to add? What do we need to change? What do we need to evaluate? For all of those uh, out there listening, you know, there's always kind of that, that theme that you hear that people are most likely to buy tools in their first 90 days. I could not say that is more, Derek, I cannot agree that is more <laughs> true um, because I've basically been on a tool buying spree uh, the last couple of months. It's also really important to purchase these tools for scale. And I mentioned this before with LinkedIn Sales Navigator as the example. Again, we don't necessarily need it now, but when we're three to five times the size, having these really, really strong tools is really important. So the four tools that are core and near and dear to my heart that I literally would not work anywhere without are Gong, Troops, Sales Navigator, and Slack. And for anyone who doesn't have these tools, please go get them immediately. <laughs> I think I am probably Gong's biggest fan. And it's not only because it's a great tool for call coaching, but it's actually we're seeing by having Gong is helping to, it's helping our reps to ramp a lot faster than ever before, because all of a sudden they're able to start on week one and listen and basically have a front row seat to an entire sales cycle from start to finish. I also like to tell my leadership team to go do daily, you know, gong walks. Uh, I also like to gong and puzzle, gong and clean. Basically, if I'm not looking, I have some time off. I kind of always have a gong attached to my hip. Um, another one that I love, which we just finally wrapped up the purchase for at Webflow, is uh, Troops. Troops is amazing for automating Salesforce hygiene and Salesforce tasks. You can also celebrate wins. It builds culture. And it, ultimately what Troops does is it helps the reps keep their sales force more up to date, which is a, a common thing that we hear about. Is reps <laughs> never like updating Salesforce. I don't either. So Troops directly <laughs> integrates to Slack and helps with that. It also notifies us real time when leads come in, when wins come in. It's a really cool tool. And then obviously I'm biased, but Slack is so crucial for sales. But it's really important to set up Slack correctly. So we have different sales wins channels where we actually have the whole company in there seeing what the sales team is doing and telling their stories of these customer journeys. We've got account-specific channels, and we actually use Slack to collaborate with our external customers. In fact, we just closed one of Webflow's largest deals to date with a company. can't mention their name just yet, but uh, with okay. a company... <laughs> From directly working within Slack, we're able to bring in our team, able to bring in their team, and now even post-sale, we're still working with them directly in Slack. And, and by doing that, it just breaks down some of the barriers of email and just makes the process a lot more human. We still have a long ways to go at Webflow. I'm, I'm not saying everything's perfect by any means. We have a really long roadmap of things to build ahead. On the people side, and this is, you know, as I think a lot about scaling here too, and kind of removing out some of this administrative work, we actually have an amazing finance team that has really been helping recently to offload a lot of the burden administrative tasks that the account executives used to have to do. We've got an amazing data team and an amazing marketing team who are constantly thinking about how do we get leads faster? One really interesting 
interesting lead engine for Webflow is our self-serve database that I mentioned earlier on. Essentially, how do we, if there's 130,000 customers in there, how do we understand from the sales team which ones we should be starting to build relationships? So that's something data is thinking about a lot. We also just hired on a world-class enablement leader who even just a few months in is already completely changing how we've always done onboarding. And she's really thinking about how do we make our reps ramp and sell more effectively? I think also it's really important to build strong cross-functional relationships, to not be afraid to ask for help, but also quantify what that help will do. You know, and in the case, I'll go back to this with the finance team. We found our account executives were spending hours provisioning these enterprise customers and it was really convoluted. We were able to go to our VP of finance and say, hey, Yvonne, our sales team is spending hours doing this for every customer win. It's a high risk of things going wrong. It's a very sensitive thing. We're logging into Stripe. We're having all these different backend things. Can your team help take this over? And that's going to free up more time to sell. And that's what we were able to do. So I think it's really important to have those relationships But also sometimes the answer is to throw more people at the problem. And that is actually okay. But you want to make sure that if you're doing that, that it's very high value what these people are doing and that it's something that can't be automated because people are actually a company's most expensive asset. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So I want to talk a little bit about collaboration and sales. Mm -hmm. People tend to look at sales as this very individual job. You have your quotas, uh, work your deals, get your commission and so on and so forth. And how can you make sure you create a good team spirit, not just within the sales team, but also with other teams like engineering and lead generation and customer success that are also obviously an important part of closing deals? Yeah, huge. And and we couldn't do it alone. Sales is really, it really, really takes a village. Um, And a lot of the team spirit with this is actually going to be created by the people that you hire. I think the manager's role is to help foster it, but it's really important to create a culture of openness and inclusivity, especially in this remote world where we're not all there on the sales floor together. 
it's really important to create a culture of candor and constant feedback for each other. Something that I, that I did at Slack and that I have my more senior AEs do here is they take on all these extra credit projects. So for example, my two most senior account executives, they're actually involved in every single hiring panel for every future AE and sales dev and actually managers too. I think it's really important to give your top performers stretch assignments because it's going to help them not only stay engaged, but it's going to help them prepare for their next role, whether that role be management or a more senior account executive, maybe moving up a different segment. In terms of kind of that that cross-functional collaboration, Mm. it's really important to be having those consistent cadences with those cross-functional teams. So I meet with my marketing team weekly, my director of finance bi-weekly, customer success leadership weekly, an enterprise product every other week, and so on. It's important to have this strong foundation for relationship building because it makes it, as mentioned earlier, makes it so much easier if you ever need to work through tough issues and come to solutions. The last thing is, is I think it's really important to actually have a team dedicated to thinking about culture. So at Webflow, and and I borrowed this idea from Slack, um, we actually have a culture committee, and this is comprised of at least one individual from every single department within sales. And they think about everything from, you know, celebrating birthdays to diversity and making sure everyone feels heard and that they have a voice. This is something that I think should be sponsored by leadership, but I don't actually think it should have leadership involvement. I think this should really be uh, team and rep led. And I think just to to wrap this up, how you work with your colleagues and especially your cross-functional partners can really make or break someone's success. I think a lot about internal brand, both for myself, but also for my org. And I think, you know, unfortunately, the reality is people who have maybe never worked with sales teams before can have a bit of a negative connotation on what sales is. So it's really important that sales works extra hard to build our brand and show what type of great work we do for our customers. And I can't stress this enough, but internal brand is one of the most important things for career growth and promotions. Everyone's building to the same goal. So really, I like to think about like, how do you play nicely and how do you get to the end goal together? You can be a great sales rep, but if you're a jerk and others don't enjoy working with you, that sales rep is is almost certainly not going to be promoted. Yeah, for sure. Um, and in terms of these boundaries between different roles, where does the job of the AE stop and the CSM begin? In your experience, like, should there be a clear handover? So I actually don't think so. And and I've seen it gone both ways. And I'll talk about, about how we've done it at Slack and at Webflow, and which I think has really led to a lot of our success and customer retention, is that the account executive or the, you know, the original seller doesn't ever actually step off the customer. So for example, if I'm an AE and I sell a deal, in a lot of companies, I would kick it over the fence and send it to account management or customer success. And I actually don't think that's a good strategy. Not only is it a bit of a disconnect for the customer, but I think it also can incentivize bad behavior because the AE is not going to feel that same responsibility that they necessarily would otherwise if they're staying on for the life cycle of the customer. So for us, account executives stick around for deployment, for launch, for QBRs, upsells, expansions. And I just think that's a a really, really strong model to follow because it keeps everyone really aligned. And it also keeps the customer experience really successful because the customer doesn't feel like they're being passed around to all these different people. But then how does it work? Because the AE is obviously working on closing more and more deals. So how can they deal with all of these accounts? 
Yeah. So this is what scaling, I mean, this is the heart of scaling right here, right? Is thinking about these different problems and not actually a problem, but like, how do you tackle this so you don't burn out the AE? And so you make sure the customer is getting all the love and attention that they should be. So I think in this case in particular, for each account executives, it needs to be a reasonable amount of customers that each account executive is going to have. It's important to have substantial resources in customer success. I cannot reinforce this enough for those of you out there listening. Do not underinvest in customer success. They are not just a cost center. They will actually help with retention. They will help with growth. And they will be leading to these customers that will stay on your platform for years. Um, I think this also goes back to a bit of my earlier points on you know, giving away your Legos or giving away parts of your jobs. As salespeople, we need to be able to give away our customers. And with that, we need to give away some relationships. Again, also a hard thing to do when you've worked for two years to build a relationship and then all of a sudden you have to give it away. But that's what's best for the company as you think through growth and scale. That being said, there needs to be really clear roles and responsibilities between AE and CSM for both pre-sale and post-sale. They should be directly aligned in what their roles and responsibilities are so each one can divide and tackle what they're best at. So just to wrap up, uh, what's next? Have you any big plans or projects for the rest of the year? Oh man, um, yes, <laughs> a lot. I think as I mentioned <laughs> earlier, the big one for us is we're going to triple our sales org this year. Webflow is doubling this year. Sales is just growing at an exponential rate. And it's been really cool to see how our revenue is directly impacting the company. We're also going to continue to go up market. So we're building out an entire enterprise product. It's already there today, but a big part of our roadmap is really thinking about how do we build out these features that these large enterprises need. Let's see, what else is really big? Uh, I think just building a sales team that that every AE who is not at Webflow looks at us from the outside and says, wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that brand. I want to be a part of that culture. I think we're off to a great start with this mission, but we still have a really long ways to go to keep up with customer demand. And then for me personally, outside of Webflow, I mentioned early, but advising and consulting for a few very exciting startups and actually two of them just raised their seed round. So I'm helping them think through their sales and go-to-market strategy, scouting for Cowboy Ventures, which is one of the best venture capital firms out there with an amazing, amazing team behind it. Uh, I like to do some mentoring for first round capital. And I'm just really proud that to, to be involved in all these orgs as I start to explore more about the venture world. And then I, I can't, can't wrap up without saying raising my daughter. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Watching her continue to grow and be a really, really strong woman. I have really big aspirations for, for what she's going to do and what she'll be someday. Yeah. I, I just can't wait to see who she turns into. Yeah, I've no doubt we'll we'll be talking to her on the podcast at some stage uh, in the future. <laughs> and Maybe so, 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this series is all about hearing how companies scale their growth. But just before we finish up, I'd love to know what was a key event in your career that helped you scale professionally? Yeah, I'll tell you all. I actually remember the exact meeting where it happened. I was in a meeting with Kevin Egan. He was our VP of sales at Slack. 
And he started whiteboarding what my career could look like if I stayed and continued to grow in my account executive career, or if I wanted to move into leadership. And we really talked about, you know, the pros and cons of both. And ultimately what we came to is, is leadership is something that I, you know, should try out. And I could always go back to selling at another point in time if I didn't like it. So for me, the biggest thing in my career was moving into leadership, having never formally led before, always mentored, but never led and having really strong leadership to help me with that transition. That is the single most important thing about moving into leadership is really having this tribe that's surrounding you and supporting you and this team that you can go to. And I leaned on them so much. My first year in leadership was actually really, really hard. And admittedly, I don't think I was the best leader for my team. I, I, I don't think I knew what I was doing. And I think there was a lot of growth and a lot of change. And one of my mentors actually told me that it takes three years of being in leadership to really become a strong leader. But I stuck it out despite some, some ups <laughs> and downs. And I worked really hard on myself for being a better leader for my team. And actually, I'm so one of kind of one of my highlights, another proud moment, so I can add in a second one, is my team at Slack was the top performing sales team globally. And you know, with this, oh, it was wow. incredible, but I would have never been able to get there and had this type of success if it wasn't for the strong mentors that helped coach me on how to get there. Wow, fantastic. So Lassie, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Probably the best place is LinkedIn. I'm not super active on Twitter. Every few months I'll put out a tweet, but uh, pretty active on LinkedIn. So search for me on LinkedIn. Would love to connect with all of you there. Brilliant. Well, Maggie, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed our chat with Maggie, make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes by following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us now.